Explore the heart and soul of Outback Australia with Vision Tours. Travel to fantastic destinations like Broken Hill, Coobapedi, Uluru and Alice Springs. Visiting local churches and meeting people spreading God's word in remote communities. The Salt and Light Tour, in conjunction with Bush Church Aid, is a holiday that celebrates our faith. Join like-minded people from July 28 with Vision Tours. See full details at vision.org.au slash tours. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. Let me ask you, what is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, you would feel hardly worth living? Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. I'm Bill, and thanks for joining me again on Today with Jeff Vines. Pastor Jeff is currently in the middle of a series discussing seven principles found in Gideon's life from Judges chapter 6, and this time it's number four. God can often strip us of everything we depend upon other than Himself. Let's hear from Pastor Jeff now. You're listening to Today with Jeff Vines. This past week, I read an amazing story about a young woman by the name of Elizabeth Taglao. In the article, she describes her 10-year struggle with anxiety and depression. She says, I was diagnosed with depression when I was 22 years old. My life stopped. Everything turned upside down. She said, a repressed memory of molestation from when I was six years old resurfaced and my anxiety grew, my depression worsened. I lost my drive, my passion, and myself. She says, for about six years, I lived in denial and my world revolved around medication and hospitalizations as I tried to figure out what was wrong. I spent another four years finally accepting my illness searching for the right treatment, getting to know myself again. I felt estranged from my own life for over 10 years. She says, during those times, I constantly asked God why such things were happening to me and how I could get better and what should I do? And she did what most of us do. She said, I read self-help books. I listened to inspirational Christian music over and over again, almost begging for answers. But then she says, even though I had so many questions, I could never deny my faith and my belief in God and that he was always watching over me. She said that truth gave me one last string of hope during the times when I was hanging on by a thread. It was another day to get through, another challenge to overcome, and the only way I was able to do it was that I knew God was watching over me. And then She gave three incredible quotes back to back to back. She said, I believe there's a reason for pain, my pain, she said. And I know that I'm stronger today because of what I went through and have overcome. I am grateful for those experiences despite all those bad days. And then she says, we are not our struggles. We are who we decide to become. With a strong faith and strength gained from overcoming our trials and not giving up, we can be anything we want to be. And then she concludes by saying, the strongest people aren't always the people who win. 
They are the people who don't give up when they lose. This is a good summary of what I've been trying to communicate over the past four weeks that we've, we've said from the beginning that all your life is preparation for one major event, one major eternal victory for which God has been preparing you. And that victory began in your mother's womb. It continued through every experience of your life, every unfortunate event, every success, every failure, all your pursuits, all your rejections, every event, every response, every action and reaction. I used to believe when I was younger that there was only one part of the will of God and that was his general will, what theologians refer to as God's general will, that I live a holy life, that I'm faithful to Christ. Everything else is merely the result of the world in which we live. And there is some truth in that. Not everything that happens to us is sent by God. Not everything that happens negative in our life is because of some bad choice we made. This is a fallen world. Bad things happen. Unfortunate events occur, period. But what we've noticed in Scripture is that God is not passive in these events. And He uses all of these events to mold and shape us, to prepare us for the greatest victories of our lives. Now, you might stop for a moment. You might say, Pastor Jeff, do you really believe this? And the answer I would give you is absolutely I believe that. There is no other plausible explanation for the way God brings everything together in an individual's life. Matter of fact, I will go so far as to say this. Our greatest appointments with God occur in the midst of our most intense disappointments in life. Our greatest appointments with God occur in the midst of our most intense disappointments in life. Because this is where God meets us. This is where God reveals himself as revealer and comforter. And it's where God does his best work. Remember the quote from Dallas Willard? I got quite a few emails on this quote, so it must have struck a nerve. He said, what if your life, exactly as it is, is God's perfect environment for growing you into the person he wants you to become? God is persistently and relentlessly working on you. Even when you give up on yourself, he never relents. One of my favorite quotes from any movie comes from the movie, The Count of Monte Cristo. It's a story of redemption overcoming retribution. And the young atheist in the story says, I don't believe in God. And the response comes back, that's okay. He still believes in you. This is what we are learning from the Gideon narrative. We are learning that it is possible to live the wild life, to respond to life in such a way that you are compelling, that you are a telescope of God, that you're bringing someone that seems to be far off near so that those who are far from him can come near to God. These seven attitudes are the attitudes we must live life with every single day. When we wake up in the morning, it's like, okay, this is the attitude. These are the attitudes that I'm gonna so deeply ingrain in my life that I am going to respond to every event, no matter how small or large, with these precepts or principles in mind. Now, the sooner these principles make their way into your life, the sooner you experience the greatest victories of your life. The fact is, I want everybody just to take a deep breath here and just think about this for a moment, that God wants to call you up into the big leagues, but you have to prove yourself down in the minors first. And the reality is that many of us will never get the call. And it's not because we're not saved. I mean, we are saved by grace through faith. We have said that over and over again. Our salvation has very little to do with us and everything to do with God. But it is possible to position yourself 
in a way of life and living whereby God can accomplish extraordinary eternal victories in you and through you. But very few of us will be willing to live our lives with these attitudes. We've already covered four of them. Number one, we live with the attitude that God intends on using the unfortunate events of my life as faith builders leading to the greatest accomplishments of my life. If you truly believe that, you're going to respond differently to the unfortunate events. Someone offends you. Rather than lash out, you're going to ask the question, is God building gentleness and self-control in me to be employed at a later date for an eternal victory? The second principle we learned about was God will often require me to do something that seems unreasonable. But it only seems unreasonable to you because you can't see the future. God knows every eventuality of every decision that we make. He knows the roads that lead to our greatest victories are often fraught with peril, and that in your own wisdom, you would never choose these roads. Remember what Elizabeth Taglau said? She said, the strongest people aren't always the people who win. They are the people who don't give up when they lose. And it's true that often God sends us on a journey of loss that we may discover our greatest victories. That's where God does his best work. And finally, we learned uh, the third week that God will always lead us to do that which brings him the most glory. He's not interested in our glory or anything else. He's interested in his glory so that his glory shining through us may compel people who are far from him toward him. Now, we come to the fourth principle. This is a difficult one. I said that about last week, and I believe I still believe that's true. But as we move forward, we move into greater difficulty. Because here's the truth about your life and mine. The fourth principle, the fourth attitude with which to live our lives every day is an understanding that God will usually strip us of everything we depend upon other than himself. God is going to strip us of everything we depend upon other than himself because God doesn't want us depending on any other thing other than him because he's the only one that can ultimately deliver. Now, go back to the story. This is referred to in the chapters of Judges 6 and 7. It's never listed exactly, but it's insinuated in the text. Gideon had 32,000 men, and God told him that's too many, which is interesting since the Midianites were 135,000. So the odds were already four to one, 135,000 against 32,000. God said, you have too many men. He reduced the army to 10,000, which would have been 13 to one odds. He came back to Gideon and said, you still have too many men. And then finally, God chose 300 men, 300 men, 300 against 135,000. That's better than a 450 to one odd. Now, if you're Gideon, just when you thought things could not get any worse, God calls another board meeting, staff meeting, with his staff of one, Gideon. And if I'm Gideon, I'm thinking, okay, I only have 300 men. But this meeting that God has called, God is obviously going to explain to me how he only needs 300 men to release this secret weapon that he's come up with to destroy 135,000 well-trained warrior Midianites. But instead, when he has this meeting with God where God gives him his arsenal with which to face the Midianites, the only things that are mentioned are trumpets, torches, clay jars, and your voice. God, God says, Gideon, here's your arsenal as you face 135,000 Midianites down in the valley. And he doesn't say anything about swords or bows and arrows, nothing about javelin or spears. He said, here's your arsenal, <laughs> trumpets, 
pitchers or clay jars, torches, and your voice. Now, what is happening here? What's happening is that God will usually strip us of everything we depend upon other than himself because God does not want us depending on anything other than himself. Dependence on any other thing will lead to the ultimate defeats of our lives instead of the ultimate victory. Now, please listen carefully. This is gonna be one of those messages where we're gonna have to put a few things in the funnel and then it's all gonna come out in the end, so I need you to pay very close attention here. There are multiple strands running through this cord. And if you'll just stay with me in the end, we will clarify everything. You and I are going to face difficult times in life. That is a done deal. There are gonna be times when the odds are heavily stacked against us. And you will not know the difference between what is sent by God and what is allowed by God. So going in that direction is futile. But what you do know is that God has promised to take every advantage possible. He is an opportunist to build our faith and trust in Him to equip us for the greatest eternal successes of our lives. Now, while all this is happening, there is a divine romance occurring, a divine courting happening between you and God. Because the most important thing in your life is not what you do for God, but the most important thing is the relationship you have with God. The most important thing in your life is not what you do for God, but the relationship that you have with God. Therefore, part of the preparation for your extravagant eternal victories is exposing and stripping away competing loves that can never deliver. God asked us the same question he asked Gideon. As you go about day-to-day -day events of your life, in what or in whom have you placed your ultimate trust? For Gideon, it was swords, bows and arrows, javelins and spears, but God wanted him to trust ultimately in the living God and his power and his wisdom. Now stay with me. This is such a crucial question. I'm gonna hammer this just for a moment. Wherever you are right now, whether you're just listening, whether you're watching, this is so important for you to answer honestly. This is that point in the road where if you're not honest with yourself, you can deceive yourself in thinking you're going down the right road, but you're not. And life, you're still saved because of your faith in Christ, but life will be a struggle. The question is simply, what in your life should you lose it? Your life would be hardly worth living. What in your life, if you lost it, your life would hardly be worth living? Do you know how important it is to answer that question? Tim Keller, one of my favorite apologists says, the biblical concept of idolatry is an extremely sophisticated idea, integrating intellectual, psychological, social, cultural, and spiritual categories. There are personal idols, such as romantic love and family, or money, or power, or achievement, or access to particular social circles or other emotional dependence of others on you, or health, or fitness, or physical beauty. Many look to these things for hope, meaning, and fulfillment that only God can provide. So the Bible teaches us that idols are not simply gods that are constructed out of wood and iron. They are the ultimate things that have captured your heart, and God knows what they are. An idol is whatever you look at and you say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, 
Then I'll feel as though my life has meaning. I'll know I have value. I'll feel significance and security. These are the things that have a controlling position in your life, in your heart. And these are the things you spend most of your passion and energy and emotional and financial resources on without giving a second thought. It can be a career. It can be your body and your looks. I've mentioned a couple of weeks ago that the older I get, my favorite machine in the gym is the television. (laughs) Every other machine hurts so much. But some people, as long as they look the part, as long as their body holds up and their face looks a certain way, that is their hope. That is the security that they have. For others, it's their family. It's their children. For others, it's making money or at least the appearance that you have a lot of money. It can be a political or social cause. It can be a romantic love. It can be a recreational distraction. And these are the things you turn to when the bottom drops out of your life. Now, please stay with me. When the the rug is pulled out from under you, when the odds are heavily stacked against you, what is your go-to? What do you turn to for deliverance? Can I tell you something? As soon as you became a Christ follower, as soon as you mouthed your confession that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life, as soon as you were buried with him in baptism and you said, I'm going to die to my old way, be resurrected to my new. Can I tell you what God did? He immediately put a target on all those things you trust in where you give preeminence over him. Let me ask you, what is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, you would feel hardly worth living? Now, for the Christ follower, God takes one of two avenues. If you've got that thing in your life that you turn to, if it's your arsenal, it could be, you know, sometimes when people go through a difficult time, they don't turn to God, they turn to friends. And they go from one friend to the next friend, waiting to hear the advice that they're really looking for. Some will depend upon a sport as a, as a way to alleviate the pain. They'll go and just be active to try to crowd out what they're really experiencing or going through. Others will even use religion to do that. What is your go-to? And whatever you go to, whatever the thing is that you place the highest priority on, whatever your greatest love really is, that if you lost it, you would feel like you could not live, God either, one, frustrates them. A quote that I used a couple of years back came from uh, Cynthia Heimel uh, in an article that was recorded in The Village Voice. I know I've stated this before. It's really compelling because she says, you know, I've known the Hollywood elite. I had relationships with them. And she says, they were so nice when they were trying to make ends meet. Blue-collar workers working their way through acting school. Then they got what they wanted. They caught their big break. And she says, they became so mean. Before they were stars, they struggled to make ends meet like the rest of us. They constantly played the if-only game, waiting for their ship to come in. She said, like us, they were occasionally stressed, driven, frustrated with common tendencies toward anger and even some hostility. That's how people are when they don't have what they think will make everything okay. But then she says, when they finally did get what they wanted, what they had been pursuing, they became awful people, unstable, angry, manic, unhappier. And then she says, I quote, I pity celebrities, I really do. Celebrities were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. They wanted fame, so they worked, pushed, and shoved. Yet the morning after each one of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose. Because that giant thing that was going to make everything okay, make their lives bearable, give meaning and purpose to their lives happened, and they were still them. 
The disillusion turned them howling and insufferable. And then she finishes, and it took me a while to understand what she meant by this, but she said, I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish and then laughs merrily when you realize you want to kill yourself. The lie of the human experience. This one thing, if I get it, will give me the happiness and contentment that I'm ultimately searching for. But it's not only the Hollywood elite who have this. I have it. You have it. We're all in this together. Everybody has that one thing. And sometimes God will let you have it to show you its futility. But can I tell you that's the exception rather than the rule? I believe that in most cases, most of us will never realize, we'll never get to the place where we fully realize our idols. That thing that we are pursuing, believing that if we catch it, all of life will be well. Life will be worth living. For most of us, we live in the illusion for most of our lives because we get just enough of our dream to keep pursuing it. So we never really see that it cannot satisfy. Someone has said, you're only young once, but you can be immature forever. And sadly, as you get older, you realize that these things that you're after, they're after you. We say that if only I could get this, but it's got you. These things in their present form, they're your enemies. They're not your friends. They'll never deliver what they promise, never. At first, they make you feel great, but so does Harrison, heroin. At first, heroin is awesome, but it'll eventually kill you. What is the, what is the thing that God could do? What is, the, what is the one thing that God could do to save you? He could let you have your idol to see its futility, which he does, and I think a minute part of the population. But for most of us, what he does is completely strip it away from us, completely take it away so that the only thing we have left to trust in is God. This is a, this is a hard pill to swallow. I look back in the course of my life, and I know I've shared this a few times, but we're, I've tried to be very personal in this series. And I want to tell you, I make fun of myself, and I, I've told you the story when I went to Tennessee Tech and I was trying to make it in the game of basketball. And I know some of my friends who had heard that message, I think some of them would have said, Jeff, yeah, you were an All-American, but you were, you were a big fish in a small pond. Did you really think you could make it? And the answer is yes. It was my life. I mean, folks, you have to understand, I grew up with a basketball in my hand every day of my life. I actually slept with my basketball. It was in my bed with me. I dribbled it to school. I stayed in the gym until the lights turned out because my hope and my significance was based in this game of basketball. And I really believed it was going to take me somewhere and I would be fulfilled. Now, after I went to the Tennessee Tech basketball camp, and after the first day, I've told you the story, I won't repeat it, but I realized there's no way I'd ever make it. And I remember going back to my dorm room and accusing God. It's like, God, why did you do this? You set me up. You knew I wasn't good enough to accomplish this. Why did I even get the invitation? Why did you bring me here? I thought you were sovereign. <laughs> and I look back now and I, I start to see that what God was saying to me is I am sovereign, but I knew you were never gonna listen to me until you experienced it for yourself. I've been calling you away from this game for years. This is not my plan or purpose for you. Now, does that mean basketball is bad? No, for some it is his plan and purpose, but it wasn't for me. And the only way I could ever come to terms with that is if God completely took it away from me. 
Now, when that happens, when God takes something away from you that is your go-to, that is your real hope and security, you've got one of two ways to respond. The first way is you can run away from God. You can get depressed and despondent and give up life and living. Or if you're growing in your faith, you run to God and you say, okay, God, it's gone. Where do we go from here? That's a good place to pause for now. We'll pick up where we left off next time on the show. We're in the middle of discussing the fourth principle that we find in Gideon's life, the idea that God needs to get rid of things we can't live without sometimes in order for us to depend solely on Him. When you come to the end of it all, God releases the power of the Holy Spirit through us and in us to the degree that we are totally, helplessly, and completely dependent on Him. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.